You know, we're talking about this thing, these different people that are part of the nativity and, and what they saw or what affected them and so forth. And we're in a very interesting one today, the shepherds, because like Steve says, there's not a lot of stuff on the shepherds, but, but what you do see is kind of interesting. What I'm going to do, and I want to jump right into this because i got some things I want you to see. I'm going to review a little bit some of the other people that we've talked about, and I want to show you a common denominator uh, through whether we're talking about Zechariah, uh, the, uh, John the Baptist's father, or whether we're talking about Joseph, whether we're talking about Mary, or whether we're talking about the shepherds. There's one common denominator. So, and, and, and I, want you, I want you to see what that is, it, it, and I'm going to tell you what it is right now. It's, it, it's really, the, there's some confusion, but mostly there's fear. There's a lot of fear here. And um, I want to show you that, because it's kind of interesting. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, talking about um, Joseph here. Last week we looked at this. He considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. Before that, Zechariah, Luke chapter 1. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Mary, we're going to see about, talk more about her next week. In uh, Luke chapter 1, 26, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Here it is again. Don't be frightened. So you see, this keeps repeating itself. So we've got to stop and just deal with this whole thing of being frightened or fear. Because here's the thing. Now, I've never seen an angel. I've never seen the angel of the Lord, which is a specific angel. And I've never really, you know, come face to face with God. Um, I've seen what I think are maybe some, some things that God has done in individuals' lives and so forth. But I can only imagine how frightening it must be. Because, and we're going to see that the thing with God is God's a holy God. And we're not. So we get into the presence of someone some that's, that's perfect, and we're not. We're intimidated. And we're like, oh, gosh, I, I need to be afraid. So that's a little bit of what they're experiencing. But here's the thing I want you to see, and we're going to look at it with the, with the shepherds as well. And that is, God doesn't want us to be frightened. You say, well, okay, that's kind of, yeah, okay. Hang with me. Let's get into the text about the, uh, the Scripture verses about the uh, shepherds. And I want you to see this one more time about the fear. And then uh, I want to make a few applications to get you to kind of think along with me about some things. So here we go. Back to Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, this is Mary and Joseph, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him, in sn- wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth. Uh, swaddling clothes, some Bibles would say, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. It's kind of interesting. It's always, um, nobody has gotten this joke yet, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, It's the thing about the third service sometimes. You're like, well, why should I do this? Nobody else has ever gotten this, so, but I I do it anyway. Um, We had this place, I was, most of you know, if you don't know me, I was pastor of a church in Vail for about 18 years, and we had a place right in the middle of Vail Village. Maybe if you've been there, it's called Vail Village Inn, you know, and we used to call it just Village Inn. 
for short. So, never mind. It's not going to work with you guys either. I can see that already. <laughs> anyway, so whenever I'd come to this particular thing in the text, I'd always say, there's no room in the village in, folks, because it was always full. But you had to be there. It just, it just doesn't work here. It just doesn't work. I've got I to gotta figure out a different one. Truthfully, truthfully, the, the, the village, uh, there's no room in the, in the inn. Um, where they were, and this is sometimes confusing to people, but you'd have to understand the, the housing of the time. They still have some places like that. where you, It's almost like a split level. You walk in, uh, in the front door, more or less, if you want to call it a front door, and you kind of step up a couple of feet. It's a rock floor, and, you, and that's the living area. But then it's usually built into a hill, and around the back, animals would be, come into your house on the lower floor. And that's because your animals were very important. And in inclement weather, uh, you want to take care of your animals. Because in that society, agrarian society, I mean, you've you, you got to take care of your animals. So basically what you would have at that time, and even really just till about 100 years ago, um, you would have the animals on a different level, but in the same house, in the same four walls as, as the family. That's the place where Mary and Joseph and, ba- and Jesus was born. It was really, an, it was, it was a, is it a barn? Well, yeah, it is, but it's also a house. So that's, it's, that's how it's, it's kind of confusing to some. But that's what it was. And it was not at all unusual if you had visitors, and because the houses were very small, for, the, for you to say to them, you know, we're going to put some hay down, we're going to have to put you in, in, in with the animals because there's no room. And it wasn't an insult, it was just the way it was. So that's what's going on here. And maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't know that, but that, that's what was going on. So then verse 8, That night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, Here it is, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is how you will recognize him. You'll find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in snugly, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth or wrapped in swaddling clothes. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to all whom God favors. Now watch this. Big switch here. 180 degree switch. Verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Now, less than a couple of minutes ago, they're frightened. And now they're like, let's go see this, this baby that's, that's the son of God. And uh, quite, a, quite a switch here. Here's what's interesting to me. And this is what I want to just talk about for a little bit. The message to the shepherds is not only one of the dominant themes of the nativity, but it, it's one of the main themes of the gospel, which is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And you know, it, it seems a bit ironic, if that's the right word to me, that, that this message, which is a key message of, of Christmas as well, this message, which is a message of, of forgiveness, of restoration, um, giving real life to those who, who come to Christ in faith and trust Him, uh, the one that, the, a message that we can come confidently to God. It seems strange to me, though, 
that we've taken this message to the church. And we've twisted it a bit to the point where we have, whether it's intentional, and sometimes it has been, not always, they've made this thing almost a message of fear. You better be careful. You better be careful because you're going to go to hell. You know, so many times, I mean, there's hardly, literally a week that passes that I don't hear from talk to someone along the way, socially or somewhere else. You know, I, I gotta, you know, I'm doing this because I don't want to go to hell. You know, and and and, and I got to tell you, that's, I mean, that's not how we're supposed to live. So, are you concerned about that? You know, and and, and you know, people get concerned about that in a way that, not in a joking kind of way. I joke about it occasionally. A couple of Christmases ago, I got carried away. Some of you know that, or maybe it was last Christmas. I can't remember. And said, if you don't turn in the tickets that you're not going to use for the Christmas concert, you might go to hell. I said something like that. <laughs> and I've heard about it ever since. I was joking in case you didn't know when you were here, okay? Um, obviously, you're not going to go to hell for that. Now, you may get a visit from me, like Clay said. No. Um, no, what I'm, what I'm talking about is, is something that you, that's really not joking stuff. I mean, it's where people really do live, serve, go, give, whatever it might be, out of fear if I don't. I'm in deep doo-doo, okay? So I want to show you that. Well, here's what I've done. I do this from time to time. I, I, it, I, it helps me to kind of have contrast. This, boom, this, and kind of go through this thing just for a couple of minutes to help you understand where I'm coming from and what I'm trying to, what I, what I believe the Bible wants us to understand, what I believe God wants us to understand. So I'm going to look at some, some fears, some unhealthy fears and some healthy fears, okay? Because there's a balance here. So, some have this fear where they're worried about, you know, I've got to walk on eggshells, otherwise I may, boom, I may be toast, I may go to hell, man. And there are others who like they have no fear, no fear of, no reverence or anything for God. And, and, and that's not right either. So there's a balance here. And we've got we to gotta go through this. Let me just go through this a couple things real, real quick. Four or five things. The unhealthy fear is God's out to get you. You know, somebody say, you know, God's out to get me, man. They may not say it like that. Well, let me assure you, God's not out to get you. You know why? Because he could have already gotten you. <laughs> any one of us on any number of different issues. You know, God's not out to get us, thank God. The, the healthy fear is that there is such a thing as a holy God. God is holy. And more, more than we can, I mean, and the thing about this is when you're in the presence of a holy God, and, and, and we're not, I'm not, you're not, I mean, we try to be and, and so forth, but we're not, not, not in anything comparing to God. Here, God, perfect moral purity, and we're in his presence you know, that's why you see in the Old Testament lots of different things where you have, you know, Moses taking off his shoes when he's in the presence of God, just a sort of symbolic of the fact. Sometimes, sometimes they would pray, sometimes we pray. We'll, we'll, we'll get down on our, knee, our knees because we're, we're in awe of, of, of God. And that's, that's good. Sometimes we bow our head. I usually bow my head when I pray. Why is that? Just a custom? Might be a custom, but also it's because we're just bowing out of reverence to God. You know, so, and sometimes we do that, sometimes we may not do that. But the issue here is that I don't want you to miss, is that God is a holy God, and we're not. And, and, and the only reason we can come to God is because Jesus came for us to give us that ability. 
Okay, so that's the, that's the unhealthy fear, the healthy fear. Unhealthy fear, God is unapproachable. We can't approach God. The healthy thing about that would be we, gotta have, we should have a reverence for God. There should be some, a reverence there. And, you know, one of the things in the Bible, you, you see, it says fear God, a number of different places. It's always referring to a reverential fear, not to be, oh, I'm afraid because God's going to zap me, but a, a real true reverential fear. Um, Another unhealthy thing would be just being motivated by fear. A lot of people are motivated by fear. Obviously, the, 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 the opposite of that would be that you're aware that there are certain consequences of, of sin, but, and that might motivate you. I don't want to do that again because when I did that before, I sure didn't feel very good about it. You know, and, 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 and whereas the other thing is when you're motivated by fear, it's a whole different deal. You know, you could ask the question. I could ask you this because this is not the right, this is not the right crowd. You came out today, you came to church. God bless you. You came to church and the weather's horrible and it's nasty out there. And do you know that there are even, there, I, got, I get different emails. Uh, there are even some churches today around our area that just quit, just, just canceled services. Do you know that? I got an email from it's good churches, good people. I don't, I'm not judging them, but I got the emails of so-and-so canceled services and I'm like, Bunch of sissies. I mean, gee whiz. I mean, you know, what's the deal? They're, they're, they're great people, and I'm sure there was a good reason for that, although I never see a good reason for that. But, but, but uh, you guys came out. Here's the point. Some people come to church, not you, because you're righteous, but <laughs> righteous dudes, righteous dudes and dudettes. Um, um, some people come to church out of, out of just fear and obligation. You know, and, and, and I got to tell you, save your trouble. Don't do it. Uh, God's not impressed by that. And he knows your heart. And, uh, and, and whatever it might be, people doing things out of fear, well, I better because if I don't, I may go to hell. You're not going to go to hell for, not, for missing church on a Sunday, okay? Or two or three, okay? I just want you to know that, you know? Um, that doesn't mean that I want you to miss, but you, you, you know, don't, go, don't do it for the wrong reason either. Um, failure, fa- you know, that, that whole thing, motivated by fear. Now, the other side of that, by the way, is what's, what does that mean by consequences for sin? If you've ever done something wrong, and you have, um, there's nothing wrong with stopping the next time that you start to do it again. You say, you know what, I did this once, and I really didn't feel too good about myself afterwards. I don't want to do that again. Well, that's a good motivation. All of us have had that experience in different ways. That's a different thing. That's not necessarily fear. Let me show you some more. Just some more. We'll cause some more thoughts. Um, failure to realize forgiveness. That's, that's the other thing. Is people just don't sometimes realize they're forgiven. As, as opposed to the healthy fear, which is just an honest guilt or sorrow for wrongdoing. Um, there's nothing wrong with feeling that guilt or that sorrow for wrongdoing. You know, the, the, here's the thing. You need to hear this. You need to hear this clear. Guilt can be a good thing if it causes us to recognize what I've done is wrong. And now I want to I repent. I want to ask God for his forgiveness. And I want to move on. Guilt is never for the purpose for us to stay there and for my, my term, wallow in it. You know, or it's never to be used for a motivator. You know that thing? 
that thing, well, you know, you better do this, you know, you gotta do, you know, and sometimes families, Christmas time, sometimes families like to motivate out of guilt, yeah, you better do this because, you know, your mom and dad might not be around much longer to do things with, you know, and, and some of these kinds of things, and that may be a reality, but at the same time, you, you also, is that going to, you know, one of my siblings does that to me every now and then, you better come home sometime because of this and because of that, and I'm like, don't pull that crap on me, don't do that. Because I'm not going to come out of guilt, you know. And if I have a trip planned to go see them, my folks, and you try to guilt me into it, then I'm going to cancel my trip. I'm not going to come. Because I'm not going to be motivated out of guilt. I'm going I'm to be motivated to do the right thing because it's the right thing. Not saying that I've never been motivated out of guilt. I, I'm just telling you, that's not the way people are supposed to do things because that's not how God does it. That, that's where the pattern should be set. That's not how God does it. And I want you to see that. I want you to see that. He doesn't want us living lives to please him or to honor God or, or, or going to church or not doing this or doing this out of fear. He wants us to do it because we want to do it. Sometimes we have to pray about that. Sometimes we have to say, God, give me the right reasoning here. Give me the right motivation. Because I don't have the right motivation. So, so you've got to stop and you've got to think about that. And that's, that's part of the, the, the pray, of just praying and asking God to help. Um, seeking to honor Christ out of, our, out of gratefulness, out of love for him, not living out of fear. And that's, I, 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 here, here's part of my thing, and I, I don't want to get into this too much, but, but I see this as one of the prime motivators of giving and of, of church attendance and of service, one of the prime motivators that, quote-unquote, the church uses oftentimes is guilt or fear. God is not honored by that. It's never the right reason to do things. You need to hear that. You need to hear that loud and clear. That's not my opinion. That's just, that's just that's the Bible, and it teaches that. So there you go. Right? Failure to realize your forgiveness, and you know, as, far, as opposed to the guilt. A couple, one more, and I already talked about it. Doing things out of bondage or obligation, that's unhealthy. But there is certainly an honest, healthy thing called just being accountable to God. Just being accountable to God. Um, you know, guilt and fear and timidity is never a way that we are to approach God. Let me show you two passages from the Bible very quickly. I'll tell you real quick the story and get you out of here, all right? So you can go back out into the rain and wind and snow and all that other stuff. Um, let me take you to two other places in the Bible. Romans chapter 8, first of all. Watch this. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him father, dear father. The wording actually there is Abba, father, Abba, which is it's Greek and, and for a term of endearment. He says, for this Holy Spirit speaks to us, his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. He says, God doesn't want you to be, you know, how's that word? I like it, cowering, fearful slaves. It's not what God wants. Not to live that way. And I, and I like that. Hebrews puts it this way. Another New Testament book. Hebrews chapter 4. This is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven. Who is our high priest? Jesus, Son of God. Let us cling to him. Never stop trusting him. It's a present active. Keep on trusting him. 
This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. Let us come, watch this, let us come boldly, some Bibles say confidently, to the throne of our gracious God, that we will receive his mercy, we will find grace to help us, literally it says right when we need it the most. Let's have that. Let's approach God that way. Because that's why Jesus came, and that's, that's, that's what God wants. Somehow or another, the shepherds realized that in a matter of two or three minutes. You know, between verses 5 and verse 8, we come to God out of love and out of grace, out of uh, gratefulness. Let me tell you this way. Let me just tell you this. It's kind of a touchy subject. Probably not one that you want to do at Christmas time, but that's okay. I'll do it anyway. And we got, I'm actually, we're starting a series in January on the family, so I'll give you a little bit of a precursor to this. Because this really has a lot to do with our relationship with God, husband and wife. I've dealt with this many, 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 many times, and I'm sure I will more. Husband and wife married. Could be either one. We'll just say in this particular situation, husband cheats on his wife. She finds out, you know, it's all just bad news. Yada, you know. And they start talking, and they start, you know, they, they call. They, I've gotten that call sometimes late, sometimes early. Um, and then talk to the pastor, and they get in some good, maybe some good counseling, find somebody that's a good counselor, helps them through that, and they work through that whole thing. You know, and they get through, they get through the other side, not that, not that it's good that it happened, but then you don't ever want to go through that kind of thing, but they got through it, and, and they're better because of it, and now they're really living and just loving each other, and they really had a great marriage going on, and things are really good. After, after I'm kind of speeding up, the, after a long gap of really working through some things. And then sometime along the line, the, the husband, the one that had done the cheating, says to his wife, you know what, honey, I would never cheat on you again. And you know why I would never cheat on you again? Because I know that if I ever did, you would leave me so quick. Not only would you, and you'd probably kill me too, but you would leave me so quick that, that boom, it would never, it, we could never ever be together again. And, and she said, yeah, you're right, you're right. Uh, that's great. Okay, well, we'll just, you know, keep on. That's one scenario. Scenario B, same thing happens, go through the whole thing, then the husband says, honey, you know, where we are, we love each other, and we've gotten past all that, I just want you to know, I love you so much, you know, I would never leave you ever again, I would never cheat on you, because I love you, I love you, and I want to live my whole life honoring you, and holding you up, and just being with you, I just love you so much. Now let me ask you a question, which would you rather have? The husband or the wife, the one that says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to you the rest of my life because if I'm not, God help me, I'm going to get killed and you're going to leave me. Or would you rather be the one that has the husband or the wife that says, you know what, I'll never cheat on you and the reason is because I just love you so much. You see, that's the same thing it is with God. Do we come to God and say, oh, God, you know, I, I want to serve you and I want to honor you. I want my life to reflect who you are because if, because if I don't, you're gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm toast. I'm going to burn in hell. Or, God, I want to serve you. I want to live a life that reflects your love and your character because I just want to, because of how you love me. 
And I want to live my life reflecting that love out of gratitude and love for you. See, that's the difference. Is one, you know, bad? Not necessarily, but one's a lot better than the other. And that's to reflect our relationship with God. We love, we live for him, not out of fear, but out of love and gratitude for who he is and what he's done in our lives. All the difference in the world. And may God bless that as we think and dwell on that during Christmas time. Let's pray together. Lord, what a powerful illustration it is of how much you love us, how much you don't want us to fear you, but how we can still have reverence for you and live a life of love and gratitude, reflecting the kind of character that you want to build into our lives. We're grateful for that, God, and I pray for each person here that, that we would think through this and that our lives really would be different this holiday season as we think about the fact that you say over and over and over again, don't be afraid. And that might even take over and affect our lives long after the holidays. We thank you for your love and for your grace. We pray, God, that we would reflect it in every way in our lives. In the coming days and weeks ahead, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.